create a new normal for the next generation. And it's really important that we know what a new normal is and how we count that. And we don't count that by how many people show up to service or how many programs we can offer, but we know that we're creating a new normal, that the people in this church community are experiencing that when we can tell stories of lives that are changed. So when families and young people can tell stories about their past being redeemed or their relationships being restored or just being delivered from destructive patterns of operating, that's how we know we have a win. As we're going to celebrate some of those this morning by hearing stories from a few people whose lives have been healed and transformed this year, and then we'll have a time to reflect so that we can all consider what God's been up to in all of our lives this year as we get ready to step into 2015. So you want to introduce our first speaker? Hey, well, I have the privilege of uh, introducing our, our first uh, speaker this morning. Um, I met John um, probably kind of at the end of the summer or so. I knew his wife, um, uh, Natalie. She babysat the, the mock uh, kids growing up, and uh, so knew her for quite a while. Met her husband, John. They started coming around Easter of last year and um, started getting together and hanging out a little bit. He is a, um, a cop in Cameron. And he actually did a shift all last night. So he has not been to bed in a long time. So if he just nods off in the middle of talking, just you know, give him a yelp or a clap or throw something at him, and we'll keep him focused this morning. But really excited for you guys to hear. I've gotten to hear a lot of his story as I've been meeting with him this fall. But for you guys to get to hear about what God's doing in his life, it's been pretty significant. So let's bring up John Bransfield. Let's clap for him now. <laughs> Some of you probably know, um, I have three beautiful children, Emily, who is six, Macy, who is three, and Hunter, who will be a year old on January 14th. A uh, little bit about my story. Um, I grew up in Catholic faith. Um, I had a very strong family that was Catholic. My grandmother never missed a mass, never missed a holiday mass, never missed anything she could recite the Catholic Mass to you, frontwards and backwards, which it pretty much stays the same, so that probably wouldn't be hard to do. Um, my mother is also a very devout Catholic. Um, I did public school from kindergarten to third grade. When I was in fourth grade, I went to St. Francis. Um, I went all the way through eighth grade with that, and then continued on my Catholic high school education at Bishop LeBlanc High School, graduating in 2006. Um, while I was attending Catholic school and having a strong Catholic family influence, um, it gave me all the tools that I needed to get that relationship started with God. But um, as any normal teenager in high school, I chose to focus more on sports, parties, and relationships. I went through the motions in the Catholic Church. Um, I never really had a desire to go back. I was just kind of going through the motions um, and just did the expectations um, that of my family and of the Catholic faith. I always had a strong belief in God, but didn't have an intimate relationship like the one that I desire now. Um, my sophomore year in high school, 
I grew between four to six inches. I had a pretty good growth spurt. And uh, I began to have pain in my lower back. Um, I thought it maybe was just growing pains, no big deal. I was seeing a chiropractor two to three times a week. Um, but the pain in my back got worse, and it continued on into my legs. Um, I did all four years of football, played varsity two years, and um, I started quarterback at Bishop Blount High School when I was a senior. Um, but I was constantly having back pain and constantly having leg pain. Um, when I was going through my chiropractor, I started going to my doctor as well, and my doctor prescribed me some Loratab 5s for, to kind of subside the pain. Um, as I continued through high school, I began taking prescription medication of the Loratab 5s. It didn't do anything for the pain, really, so I started taking Loratab 10s that my doctor had prescribed. Um, but I got to the point where I was getting to the point where, sorry, I was getting reliant on them, then became addicted to them. I began swiping them from my parents' medicine cabinets. Um, it wasn't to get high. It wasn't anything. It was strictly to make the pain go away, but it never really worked. Um, after high school, I had planned to um, continue on in sports. I had intended to play football at Southern Illinois State University and thought that I could manage the pain, get it under control, and go from there. I switched chiropractors in May of 2006, and a side view x-ray showed a very serious problem. I was referred to KU Medical Center to meet with a specialist, Dr. Doug Burton. He looked at my x-rays and did some tests of his own. Dr. Burton advised me that I had a 95% slippage in my spine, and I was given an option to forego surgery and be in a wheelchair being paralyzed from the waist down within the next six months or doing extremely difficult surgery. I was in shock. Um, I immediately thought, you know, my football career was over. I began to question everything. I began to question God. You know, why, why would you do this to me? Why, why me? I played that card a lot. Um, how did this happen? Why did this happen? And just really got really down and depressed about it. Uh, my family would soon realize we needed more than just the doctor's steady hand to get through the surgery, we would need the power of prayer in God more than ever. I had my first back surgery on December 13th, and the second was on December 15th of 2006. The first surgery was only supposed to be six hours, but lasted ten. I coded on the table for a few seconds, but the surgery was so intense, the doctors kept pumping me with anesthetic, and my heart went into overdrive, and it shut down to relax. Um, I did not see any bright light angels, my family members laying around, anything like that. Um, so that was good. I thought that was a plus. <laughs> so I clearly did not code that, uh, that much. So um, the second surgery was supposed to be four hours, and it lasted six. The surgery was a, was a success. They managed to fix me up the way they intended, and I am happy to say that I am pain-free now for eight years later. Um, the recovery after surgery was hard. I was in the NICU for three days, and in the hospital a total of 10 days. I was bedridden for three months. I was in a wheelchair for another three months. And for my 19th birthday, I received a back brace with a locked leg brace attachment to help me with my therapy to walk again. During this time, I, you would think that I would call on God more than ever, going through such an intense surgery, going through such an intense um, recovery. But I clearly was so mad at him for 
literally saying, he did this to me, he made me go through this, and I didn't understand that this was all part of his plan from the, from the beginning. Uh, and the recovery was long, but after I fully recovered from that experience, I soon learned I had another challenge ahead of me. I was faced with the challenge of being a dad. I wanted to do the right thing as a father. I got married. My heart was never truly in it. The relationship was negative, and there were very few positive things in that marriage, even when a second baby came along. I went through several separations, counseling sessions, stress, and eventually I was hospitalized again for stress-induced migraines. Lying in the hospital bed at Heartland Hospital, the doctors said the words to me, which were tough to hear but comforting at the same time. He said, you need to eliminate the stress that puts you here or it's going to happen again and next time it could be worse. Divorce followed for me. My main focus became being the best father I could to my, to my children. I was, after the divorce, I felt farther away from God more than ever. I felt like I was a disappointment with the Catholic Church, and I thought I did not deserve the grace of God. I found my wife now, Natalie. Um, Natalie was like a saving grace in my eyes. Natalie saw something in me that I didn't know that I had. Um, Natalie felt comfort with me, and I thought that she was the best thing that had ever happened to me. At that time, I could not see what God was doing in my life when he brought Natalie to, my, brought Natalie to me. God put Natalie in my life to show me his love through her for me. But the blinders were on, and I, couldn't, I just could not see it. Natalie and I discussed early on exactly what we wanted in life, how we wanted the children to be raised in a Christian home, and how we wanted to be surrounded by love and peace. Natalie and I got engaged November 28th, 2012, and we're married September 14th of 2013. Natalie talked about letting me decide when our family should go to church. She, she thought that me being the head of the household and me being the, the man of the house, that I should make that decision for our family. Um, she stated to me that um, she mentioned Wellspring, and she, would thought, and she thought that I would like it. I immediately began questioning whether or not I wanted to take that step to go. I've never been to any other church besides Catholic Church in my entire life. Um, I immediately began questioning a lot of the things about it. Number one, because I didn't understand it. I didn't, I didn't understand to have an open mind about it. Um, I did not decide right away, and I let it sit in my mind for quite a while. During our first year of marriage, we faced countless struggles. The custody issues with my daughters a new baby, our work schedules and our careers, money issues, etc. I remember one night Natalie and I were struggling, and I remember looking at her and I said, you know what, I'm ready. We need to go to church. Um, we need to have God in our lives because we both knew at that time that we couldn't handle all the struggles on our own anymore, that we needed to let it go, and we needed to give it to God and leave it up to him. Since we started at Wellspring about eight months ago, our communication is better as a married couple. Um, I know what it means to put God first in our relationship and in my life, and I know how to teach my children about Christ. I remember one Sunday I came in into church, and I remember looking around at everybody, um, and I remember everybody just being so locked on to what Bob was talking about. You know, some Sundays when Justin was up here talking, just everybody being locked into him. Um, when the band was up here, everybody was, you know, I'd... I'd see people with their eyes closed really singing the words and really feeling the words that they were singing. Um, and I just, 
I didn't have that feeling, and I, and I desired that. I wanted that feeling. And um, so one Sunday, um, I, asked, I stopped Bob in the back, and um, I, I said, Bob, I, I want to know Christ the way that you do. And I began to talk to Bob a little bit after church. I told him a little bit about myself. He gave me his number and said, anytime you want to meet up, just, just talk and just call me, and we'll, meet, we'll set it up. So a few days later, while I'm holding Bob's number in my hand, I was nervous and I was shaky. Um, I didn't really know what, I, what to say when I got him on the phone other than, hey, let's meet up. <laughs> I had absolutely no idea where to go from there. Um, so I, I called Bob and I set up our first meeting. Bob and I met, and uh, he just told me he wanted to get to know me and just started telling me, um, you know, asking me questions about myself, and then I, I basically just told him everything about me pretty much. Um, for some reason, I was unloading all of this information on a, on a guy that I literally have said hi to probably three times in my life. Um, I've seen him at basketball games. Um, my wife, Natalie, introduced me to Bob at uh, one of the Bodie games, I think, um, and it was literally, hey, how you doing? But yet, here I am sitting here in the first meeting that I have with him, and I'm unloading all of this information. Um, I thought he might get scared and, and say, hey, we're done. Um, but he didn't. He kept, he kept wanting to meet up, so that was good. Um, Bob explained to me that um, he was very appreciative of everything that I had told him, uh, that I confided in him, and that I, I let him in on my story and started me in the right direction from there. But even after meeting with Bob, I, I, still, I still didn't feel all the way committed. Um, little did I know, it was because I hadn't, I hadn't allowed myself to be fully committed because I was still putting up that wall between myself and God. One day I was sitting in the very back pew um, of the church. If you're looking at me, it's on your right if I'm looking at you, it's on your left. I want to put that in there. The sun was shining through the stained glass window. Uh, it was very bright, uh, but not like the bright that you look at whenever you see the sun shining in your face. You can't see anything. I, it was so bright on my face that I could literally see perfectly. Um, the band began to play the song, Here's My Heart, Lord. Uh, I remember listening to the words and closing my eyes. At this exact moment, um, I began to sing along with the words to the song. And I had a feeling come over me in such a way that I have never experienced before in my entire life. And I can only attempt to describe these feelings as compassion, love, understanding, forgiveness, release, and just so many other things that I, I couldn't even describe. I began to have tears stream down my face as I raised my hand to the sky and sang the words, Here's my heart, Lord, speak what is true. I knew right then and there that I did it, that I, I had given my life and I had given my heart to Christ. And if I would have known the feeling that would have given me, I would have done that so long ago, but I just didn't know how to do it. Um, it's a feeling that I continue to talk about because it was... Like I said, it's, it's hard to describe because it was one of the best feelings that I've ever experienced in my entire life. Um, I had no idea that the constant tugging of my heart 
was actually God knocking on the walls of my heart to let him in. Let me into your heart, fully accept me into your heart, and I will speak what is true. For me, I took the step. It was a giant step, but I did it. So if there's anybody out here right now that's kind of in the same position that I was in, you know, you're straddling that line, you don't know really if you want to jump or if you want to maybe just stay back in your comfort zone, I'm telling you right now, leave your comfort zone because it's going to be the best decision you've ever made. Um, Let yourself go. Let God take control of your heart, your life, your struggles, and let God just work through you. Coming from someone who thought you had to work for God's love and mercy on a daily basis, and if you didn't do exactly the right thing, that you were 10 steps back and you had to work extra hard to get back to where you were. I didn't realize that I had God's love and mercy even when I didn't do right all the time. I had it all, I had it all along, and I had absolutely no idea. Um, you know, come to my relationship, I was a very jealous person. Um, I made my wife my idol instead of God. I was finding my identity through her instead of finding my identity through Christ. I didn't know what God wanted of me. I thought that my focus and my, my life needed to be surrounded by her and her alone. I was demanding things from her that only God could truly give me. And I had absolutely no idea about that. And, and Bob really opened up my eyes to say, you know, hey, that is such a load to put on somebody. That is so stressful to put on somebody. Man, you just, you need to put God above her. You need, and I thought, you know, putting something in front of my wife was automatically, well, I can't do that. Then that shows her that I don't love her as much as I do. But it's showing her that I love God through her. She loves God through me. So in closing, I, just, I, I, I honestly just want to say that um, if you aren't truly sure, if you aren't truly not really sure on what path you want to take, um, talk to somebody. You know, talk to Bob. He was extremely, extremely good about really listening and really being intent. Um, Justin Amos, he also helped me out quite a bit. Um, Justin took it upon himself to go to lunch with me one day. He said, hey, man, let's go to lunch. I'd like to talk to you a little bit. And uh, later did I know, I mean, Justin and I went to lunch, and then we later went over to the bookstore and bought my first study Bible so I could really start knowing what's going on. So appreciate it, man. Um, in the future, um, I want to continue to show and talk with people who have been in the places that I've been and the struggle we have as human beings. I wish to be baptized in the future. I want to have more of a role here at Wellspring. Um, in closing, I just want to say thank you, Bob, for taking, out, uh, taking time out of your busy schedule to meet with me and to get me going on the right direction. Thank you also to Justin um, for taking it upon yourself to really reach out to me as well. And uh, Wellspring family, I mean, you, you guys have been great for my family and I. Um, you guys have really opened the doors and welcomed us all in. Thank you all very much from the bottom of my heart. It, it's, this, it's truly nice and it's truly amazing to know that I can come here on Sundays and be connected with people that I feel that I've known for a very long time because you guys are all all the same. I mean, you guys are great. Um, I found a place of worship that I can that I can raise my kids in and that I'm excited to go back to. Um, just want to let you guys know I'll be up here after church for a little bit if anybody wants to come up and, and maybe talk a little bit, ask any questions you need, and maybe share, share a little bit with me. 
Um, I'll be up here a little bit after church. So thank you all very much, and God bless you all. Hey, one, one thing that's, hello, that's a, a funny part of this story too is um, we were meeting this fall and one Sunday he comes in, he's like, yeah, there's this, this guy that, that came and, and, and did a, a seminar kind of thing for all the police officers, kind of an optional thing you could sign up for on faith, family, and career or something like that. And, and this guy was just a great speaker and I went and talked to him afterwards and we've been emailing each other and his name's Robert Miller, which is my name. And I was just like, dude, man, God is on you. Like, you beat that many Bob Millers in the world. It's like, you better, you better pay attention, right? So, man, let's just thank God for what he's doing in John's life. Lord, we just, um, we're just so grateful that you love um, this man enough to just pursue him and just be patient with him. And um, God, just through the ups and downs and trials and tribulations that he's been through, Lord, that you continue just to send people um, his way um, to show you and your grace and your love and your mercy. Um, so thank you for Natalie. Thank you for this church, the people that um, yeah, get up there and sing every week um, in ways that draws people's hearts to you. Um, thank you for your word. Um, that's just so powerful and so true um, that we just can't deny it. And, um, man, I just am so excited just for he and Natalie and for his kids. God, that they have a, a husband and a father now who is committed to you and ready to follow you. And so I pray that that would be a blessing to his children just for generations to come. And, God, thank you for his courage um, to get up here this morning and share that. I know that he... Um, he was just excited to get the opportunity to let other people know what, what God has done in his life, because I know that he wants that for others, too. So, Lord, you're just a good God, and it's so fun to hear um, of your amazing power to redeem people and to uh, take broken things and, and to make them new. So, thank you, and uh, we love you, and pray for John, uh, and just do it all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Super. We're going to pause for a minute while we share the microphone attached thingy. Um, I met Anna Edwards last spring. We did a women's event in April, and I saw her name on the sign-up sheet, and I was like, I have heard that name a lot. Who is that? And so um, she came to the event and introduced herself, and I was like, oh, hey, now I can put a face with the name. And we didn't know each other before that, but we talked a lot that day and have spent a lot of time together since then. And if you were at the baptism in August, the really, really hot baptism, you got to see Anna baptized on that day. And so I've asked her to come today and um, just share the story behind all that. She has a really great story, and I'm really grateful to her to be willing to share that today. Glasses are tricky. Okay. <laughs> We're trying to figure out. We think we got it. All right. All good? Okay. So please welcome my very good friend, Anna Edwards. Hello. All right. Um, so I'm going to try to make it through this whole thing without crying, but uh, no promises. Um, the atmosphere in my house when I was growing up was one of uncertainty. Um, the only adult that stayed in my life for most of my childhood 
was my mother. And even during the times when she wasn't married, she didn't work, so she was home a lot. But she would tell me about how we didn't have enough money and we might not be able to afford the rent and we might not have a place to live. And she also had some major issues with uh, addictions to alcohol and drugs and prescription painkillers. So it was kind of an unstable environment. Um, when I was about nine, my mom was married to a man named Charlie. And I can't really explain why, but um, I didn't like him. Um, my mom and Charlie fought all the time. And that really just added to the tension between him and me. So my mom took me to counseling for the very first time. After only a couple sessions, I was diagnosed with depression at age nine. What really stands out to me um, about that time is the look of relief on my mom's face when we found out. And she told me over and over, it's not your fault. There's just something wrong with your brain. And, you know, it's okay. You were just born like this. It's okay. And... Uh, that started like a definite shift in the relationship between my mom and me and then inside me as well. And I really started to believe that there was something wrong with me. So eventually my mom and Charlie got divorced and when I was about 15, I was living in Florida with just my mom and my brother. Um, my mom suffers from a congestive heart failure and she really wasn't doing very well. Uh, one night, I came home after swim practice to find the door locked. And after a few minutes of knocking, my mom answered, but she didn't open the door. She said that um, she'd had a doctor's visit that day and it hadn't gone well. Um, she said that the doctor told her if she didn't get rid of some of the stress in her life, that she was going to die. And she said that I was the source of her stress. She said that I was the reason that Charlie and also my dad left her. She said I couldn't live with her anymore because even just looking at me stressed her out. And if she had to see me every single day, it was going to kill her. I can't even begin to explain how much that night impacted me. I was lonely and hurt and had never felt more unwanted. And the things my mom said that night really became the way that I viewed myself. A couple years later, I was living by myself in um, Boca Raton, Florida. So it was a few hours away from where my mom lived. And I got kicked out of college because I couldn't pay the tuition. And I had a job that I absolutely hated, and I had no friends. I had a boyfriend, and I had a terrible relationship with him. And I hadn't spoken to anyone in my family for a really long time. I claimed to be a Christian, but I had no relationship with God and didn't go to church. I was miserable, and I was lonely. And I decided to take the easy way out. Thank you. <laughs> Um, this resulted in a lengthy hospital stay, um, and it was awful because I had to deal with what I tried to do, and I had to deal with it alone. 
and the fact that I didn't even get a card or a call or a visit from anyone really just reinforced in my mind the fact that I was alone and that no one cared about me. So the next few years were pretty rough, but eventually I met my husband, Andrew, on World of Warcraft and moved here from, moved here to Missouri and um, things seemed to get better. We got married, bought a house, and I met my first real friend, Julie. Uh, she was an amazing person. She was a nurse and um, it was her dream to work in a hospital and to help people with mental issues. And she was someone I could really talk to about anything. And she didn't judge me because of my past. But in August of 2013, she died in a car accident. I can't really begin to describe the effect that that had on me. I was devastated, and I didn't have any idea how to deal with something like that. So, needless to say, at the beginning of this year, I was pretty broken. I had these ideas that I was alone and unlovable. And the best relationship that I had was with my husband. But even that had some major issues. Um, I just assumed that he was going to leave me. Because really, that's all I knew. I was finally broken enough that I knew that I needed help from someone greater than myself. And I knew that I couldn't deal with my issues alone. So I started meeting Stacy for coffee earlier this year. I began reading the Bible and praying and really focusing on building a relationship with God. Having a relationship with God and a friend to help me on my journey really enabled me to deal with my issues. When Stacy and I first started talking, she asked me what I really wanted out of my relationship with God. And after some thought, I said that I wanted peace. I wanted to just be able to sit quietly without being in pain, to be alone without crying. I thought even that was impossible. I couldn't even imagine what it was like to not be unhappy. My journey this year has been truly amazing. Not only did God give me the inner peace that I wanted so badly, but he actually gave me joy. I can actually smile at people that I don't know when I pass them on the street. And for me, that's huge. I've never been that person. I've even been able to deal with some of the issues in my past. I've been able to forge a relationship with Charlie, one of my mom's ex-husbands. And all of the hostility from that relationship is gone. Um, we meet for lunch sometimes, and I even actually look forward to it. He uh, even drove down from Iowa last week and came to church here. Uh, in the past year, I've even been able to forgive my mom. Unfortunately, I don't know that we'll ever be able to have any kind of real relationship. But for my part, I have forgiven her. I've been able to let go of all the anger and the bitterness that I've been carrying around for years. I've been carrying around this huge burden, and I feel like the weight has just been lifted off my shoulders. I can honestly say that now I just want her to be happy. I want her to have a good life, and I don't feel like she owes me anything. For me, 
that's huge. I never thought it was possible. I've never been in such a healthy place in my life, and I feel happy and free, and I have a good relationship with God. My relationship with my husband and his family has gotten better, and for the first time, I really have hope for the future. Um, I want to use my experiences to help other people. I don't know fully what that's going to look like, but um, I want to do some sort of free counseling in my spare time to help people who are lonely and people who are dealing with depression. I know how painful it is to be alone and struggling, and I think God can use my past and what I've been through to do some good, and I look forward to see what God is going to do through me to help other people. Don't go anywhere. Come back. Can you come back? (laughs) Is that a great story or what? Um, Can I pray for you? Father God, I just thank you um, so much for Anna's life, and I thank you um, that I can call her my friend. Lord, um, we have much to celebrate about her life today, and um, it just seems like a very victorious and glorious happy ending. But God, we pray that this would be just the beginning. And God, I just pray that you would um, use my dear friend um, to just bring hope and healing and restoration to the lives of other people. So God, I just thank you for the work that you've done in her life and the work that I know that you are going to do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hang on. So we've started a little bit of a tradition here just the last couple of years of just hearing stories like this of, of healing and redemption, and then also considering our own takeaways from the past year. And in the book of Joshua in the Old Testament, there's a really great story that gives us an illustration of just the value of creating stones of remembrance. After Moses had led the people of Israel out of Egypt and they wandered in the desert for 40 years, God brought them to the place to ride it to the edge of the land that he had promised them. And God allowed Moses to see into the promised land from the top of a mountain near Jericho, but he wasn't allowed to go in. And after Moses died, God appointed Joshua to lead the nation of Israel across the Jordan River and into the promised land. And so Joshua gave instructions to the Israelites to follow the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant to the Jordan River. And when the priests stepped foot into the Jordan River, the waters upstream stopped flowing, and it all piled up into a heap, and the people of Israel were able to cross over on dry land. And the Lord told Joshua to choose 12 men from the 12 tribes to go and select 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan River where the priests were standing. And that story concludes in Joshua chapter 4, like this. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the twelve stones they had taken out of the Jordan. He said to the Israelites, In the future, when your descendants ask their fathers, What do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan just what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and that you might always fear the Lord your God. So we're going to allow a little bit of time of reflection this morning 
for you to consider what God's done in your life in the past year. And you can do this individually, or you can discuss this together as a family or group of friends that you came here with today. And you might want to consider a few questions like this as you think about what God's been up to. Maybe consider, what has God revealed to you? How has he given sight to your blind eyes? How has he shed light on some truth in your life? Or what is God doing to heal, redeem, or restore some broken things in your life? And so after you've had some time to think about that, and you can condense that down to a word or just a really short phrase, I want to invite you to come up and take one of these stones up front and write that on there and take it with you as your takeaway from the year. I know that our house on the bookshelf, we're getting a little collection of these stones of remembrance that are telling the story of healing and victory that are happening in our home. So hopefully we'll all have a story to tell.